You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on episode 225 of Wheel Bearings, it's just Robbie and me this week, and we've got the 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander, the Toyota Camry XSE Hybrid, the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing, the Cadillac Escalade V, the Bronco Raptor, Ford and ADT hook up for security, no more BMW V12s, Lamborghinis going partially electric at least, all that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 231 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from Guidehouse Insights. I am Roberto Baldwin from TechCrunch. And uh, Nicole, I think right now, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, romping around um, Disneyland or Disney World uh, with Rebecca. Uh, So she's not with us this week. So it's just us again. Uh, So (laughs) you want to go first? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, so this week, I, okay. So I've only had. I want to. I want to preface this that I've only had the vehicle for about a day and a half, two days. Is um, I have the 2022 Cadillac CT5 V Blackwing. Dun, dun, dun. The real. The, the real V. For for real reels, not for play play. <laughs> uh, uh, CT5. Um, I. It is. Uh, it is something else. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's uh, I got the one with the uh, the manual transmission, six speed manual. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a 6.2 liter uh, supercharged V8. It has 668 horsepower, 659 pound feet of torque. According to Cadillac, it'll do zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds, and it'll do about 200 miles an hour top speed on a racetrack as a racetrack mode. You know, as you're going through your modes. Um, I have because not no done... one no one should ever do something like that on a public road ever. Yeah. Yeah, 
Um, I don't know who would take this. To, I guess you could. You I mean you could take it to a track? You're like, hey, I got this Cadillac. I'm going to take it to this track this one time, so I can try to get to 200 miles an hour. Um, other than that, it's it's a Cadillac. You know, you get inside, you sit down. It feels like a Cadillac. Um, uh, you know, the seats are it has uh, sports seats, um, but even those are really actually quite comfortable uh, for sports seats. I know some people don't like them. I am actually a, a big fan of, of racing in sports feet seats for some reason. They fit my body very well. I found them more comfortable than than most of the seats I uh, I encountered SUVs, which is uh, an odd thing. But sure, why not? Um, driving it is uh, it's fun. It's fun. I, I will say though, this is the first car in a very, 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 very long time that I stalled like right when oh. I got in the car. <laughs> like usually you'll sort of stall. You know, you'll you'll be driving a car, uh, a manual transmission. And after a day or two, or maybe within the first day at something, you'll you, you maybe you'll stall it. This one, I got in and I went to let the clutch out, and it's it is like a '90s um, sports clutch. It is just like super a ton of tension, but then the the bite where within the throw, the bite is super high. So it's like within <laughs> it feels like like it's either off down about an inch on and engaged and then the rest of the time is just so you like, can't really just, modulate it at all it's just on or you, off you you can you can it just takes a little you know what I, I had to drive it the first thing i did was drive it into san francisco i had a um i had to uh my wife and i had to go into the city uh right after they dropped it off so you know you you can do it and then it also has a hill assist mm-hmm. which typically i'm not really a fan of but uh when when it turns out this was the the first time I was going to be driving this car, and I'd already stalled it. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up being okay, just because there's yeah. So, um, so about yeah, like halfway through the day, it was it was fine. I could like sit there, you know, and sort of move the car back and forth on a hill, you know, get used to the to the clutch. But it is it is uh, it's it's pretty high. So if you if you buy one of these and you immediately stall it, don't feel bad <laughs> <laughs> because even a professional like Mr. Baldwin here did it. Who drives a lot of manual transmissions? And I was like, oh, my wife's like, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm like, this is, a, this is a very odd clutch. Um, but, yeah, once you get going, it's fine. It, uh, um, Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I think, you know, I think the brakes could probably do with a little bit of uh, extra something, something. I think they probably need about 10, 15% more brake power, especially when you have all that other power in the vehicle. You know, it's, you know again, 0 to 60 seconds and that 200 miles an hour on the racetrack. Um, The person who buys this, though, I think they are – they'll show off to their friends. They'll be happy they'll have a manual transmission. Um, You know, it's – you know, you get a nice sports sedan with a manual, which that's that's not really much of a thing anymore. Um, You can get a coupe. You can get a It is pretty rare these days. There's there's no more BMWs. There's no more Audis. There's no more – yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a bit of a unicorn. Um, it's fun to drive. Uh, it's rear wheel drive, so that's fun. Um, I will tell you that it's gonna take a, it takes a while to warm up these tires. It's, uh, these uh, summer tires. The uh, what do I got on here? I got the Michelin uh, Pilot Sport 4S summer tires on there. Um, I took it uh, out for a drive last night just because I was busy yesterday. And I drove for like 30 minutes, and the tires still weren't warmed up. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> well, I got I got stuff to do. 
I'm going to be driving it throughout the week uh, pretty heavily, so that'll be fine. But I wanted to get like a little, you know, a little extra something, something before the uh, the podcast. Um, and yeah, you know, I can still do some, you know, I still did some cornering, I still did some some uh, uh, some acceleration runs. But overall, no, it's it is a it is a an interesting uh, vehicle um, in, a, in again in a way that is a unicorn. It's a, you know you get a man transmission, you get the sports sedan. It's comfortable. It has all those sort of accoutrements of a uh, of a Cadillac. It gets horrible gas mileage, 15 miles <laughs> per gallon. Um, when I was driving it, I think I got to 16. Um, this is combined. Uh, it starts at $83,995. Uh, the vehicle I'm driving, $113,445. That's with the, that's with the, the $995 destination charge. Uh, so it's, it's not cheap. Um, even if you just want the, 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 the regular one, you know, that's, that's a, that's, that's a lot of money. And that's a lot of money for a manual transmission. When you can just get a GR86 yeah. or a Mustang or a BRZ or a Golf, or <laughs> but of course none of those none of those are in this class. That's where that's where this, the weirdness is with this vehicle is that there's nothing else really in that class. Is there anything else in the class? I'm trying. I'm racking my head trying to think of anything I else. Don't that is a sedan. I don't think right now in in the U.S. market. I, I don't think there's anything else because I think. Like the M5 is now automatic only. Uh, the Audis, no more manuals in the RS Audis. Um, Mercedes hasn't had an, a manual AMG for ages. It's probably been 10 years. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything else quite like that in the U.S. market. I think you can still get... Um, like manual transmission Audi RSs in Europe, like an RS6 in yeah, Europe. Yeah. But that's yeah. about it. So if you're in America, <coughs> this is it. If you want, you know, 6.2 liter uh, supercharged V8 with a manual transmission and you want to be fancy, this, yeah. is, this is it. This is all you get. <laughs> the CT5V, which again, is the black one, which is, it's a great, it's, you know, it's a really fun car. Um, so far, it's a it's a good car. I don't want to say it's a great car. Or it's a bad car. I'm just gonna like sit in the middle and say good car because I haven't had a lot of time behind the wheel with it. Um, but if you're if you're one of those uh, enthusiasts that just really want, you you want a manual transmission, but you got a lot of money and you want a, something luxury, uh, you know I would check it out. It's it's it is it's a hoot behind the wheel. And again, don't don't feel bad if you saw. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, the not the not the previous like the, the predecessor of the CT5 was the CTS, and the previous generation, which was the third generation of the CTS, um, I think they, ha- yeah, they offered a manual on the CTS V on that one, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then the the one before the second gen, um, they also had the CTS V wagon, the sport wagon, with a manual and. See, the prices was, of those things are really starting to go through the roof. Oh yeah. Um, so you know, even though you know you, pay, you know this one was over a hundred grand, um, you're probably going to pay you know at least you know seventy or eighty or more. You know, if you were to find a used CTSV wagon as well. Yeah, and you, you know when you when you're looking at these performance vehicles, when you're buying used. Um, yeah. <laughs> you you, you got to yeah. be careful, but you, you kind of. 
what yeah. kind of life, what kind of life they had. Um, every once in a while, I'll hear a story of somebody, like a family, or like you know, uh, essentially someone dad age, you know, forties and later, who 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 bought you know an STI, and his wife buys the ST, drives the STI, or you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so they just never, you know, it was never pushed to the limit. But every other, I mean, our w, when I bought my WRX used, uh, like, it, it it had been used. <laughs> <laughs> used. Used as it was intended. Yeah, used as it was intended, which also means that, you know, it's, it's the life cycle of these vehicles, especially when you're driven hard, because that's what people buy these for, um, is, is, is a little less than, than, than that of, you know, your, your average Camry or, or whatnot. So, you know, if you're looking at... Uh, any performance car, um, you should kind of expect that. And so, if you're looking at a use a CTS V, and it's seventy, and this one's eighty, um, you might want to just go for the pay the extra ten grand and get the warranty on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, cool. Um, yeah, I, I think the first time uh, back in like two. 2008, I think it was. I did the, uh, the the launch drive for the second generation CTSV, and they did that at um, Monticello Motor Park Motor, uh, Motor Club in New York, and it was right when it was first opening. It wasn't. It wasn't even like the facilities weren't all, even all completely finished. They had the track paved, and they were still doing construction on the various facilities. And, you know, so we got to spend a couple of hours driving those things on the track as well as driving them around upstate New York. And it was it was amazing driving that uh, manual transmission with that supercharged small block. It was a fantastic combination. I I got to drive um, one year at, at CES, Cadillac reached out and they said, hey, do you want a Cadillac for to drive around CES? And I was like, OK, Um <laughs> And so they gave me a, a CTSV <laughs> um, in Las Vegas, which uh, during I, CES I, when there was lots during, of people there. During CES, um, but it was also um, I think it was probably 2017. I found out that Las Vegas streets are notoriously slick; they're very oh, slippery. Really? They're there, yeah. So they're they're the the way that and then it was sort of raining and it was cold. And oh, was that every, the year that we had the the giant rainstorm on like the first day? Yeah, I think so. And, there was and all so flooding. That was it. Was just me sideways everywhere. Yeah, like just everywhere. Um, it was outstanding. It was the best <laughs> week. <laughs> but like you know, the left cor- turn signal. You're like sitting there and you go in. And if you just even like sort of modulated the <laughs> the accelerator a little bit more, the car the back end would would break free. <laughs> the entire time it was on summer tires. Yeah. It's on a very it's cold, very slick roads plus rain. Um, and so I, I remember uh, the EIC got in the car. I'm like, hey, you wanna you wanna? She's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, I had something a little more. Um, actually, I had two two considerably more pedestrian vehicles this week because I, I ended up screwing up and got double booked with with two vehicles. Um, the the first one I'll talk about um, is the 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander, which is a huge improvement over the old Outlander. Um, the last time I drove an Outlander is probably about two three years ago, and. Um, you know, this is the the Outlander is the first new Mitsubishi that was developed in in the time after Nissan took over control 
of Mitsubishi, took, mm-hmm. took a controlling stake in Mitsubishi. So this shares its platform with uh, the, new, the new generation Rogue uh, and assorted other Nissan products. Um, so it's got the same 106.5-inch wheelbase. Uh, it's got most of the same features that you'll find on a Rogue, including the uh, ProPilot Assist, which when you put it onto a Mitsubishi, uh, instead of the little blue icon on the steering wheel, has a little green icon on the steering wheel, and it's called My Pilot Assist instead of Pro Pilot Assist um, because it's a Mitsubishi <laughs> instead of a <laughs> Nissan. <laughs> but it's exactly the s- same functionality, and it works I, fine. It's uh, mine. Yeah, it belongs uh, to me. Yeah, the you know I, personally, I'm actually I kind of prefer the the design of the Mitsubishi over the uh, the Nissan. The, the Nissan's fine; it looks good. Um, but I, I kind of like the look of this Mitsubishi. It's a little bit different, um, and um, it's ever so slightly longer. Uh, it's the same wheelbase as the Rogue, um, but it's still it's the body is the is two and a half inches longer, um, and so apparently with that extra two and a half inches, uh, the product planners at Mitsubishi felt that that's a good enough reason to add a third row into this two thing. And- all you need is two and a half inches of legroom. That's all you need. Yeah, well, that's not what you get. <laughs> you, you don't. In in mine, when I first opened up the hatch and leaned over and looked over the uh, the back seats, um, I'll I'll include a picture in the uh, in the show notes. But um, uh, the the back of the second row seats was right up against the front edge of the third row uh, third row seats. So there's there's no legroom at all back there. Uh, I, you can slide the, the second row seats forward a bit, but even if you do that, you're still, you know, it's basically for little kids at best. I, all right. I, 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 the, the third row, I, know, I mean, I understand people want a third row. That's what people are like. I want a third row. I need a third row. And then the automakers will make a vehicle with a third row, but it's almost unusable. It's, it's usable for about six months with it. And, but even then, you'd have to, like, put your kid all the way back there, which means you're fighting with a, with a car seat. And mm-hmm. I guess it's maybe for dogs because dogs could sit up there in that little thing. Cause they don't need a, they don't need leg room. They just sit right on the seat. Yeah. There you go. Third I mean, rows you, for dogs. That's all there you, are. You can, you can just fold down the, the, uh, the third row seats, which is what I did. You know, after when I, <laughs> while I was taking photos of it, I just folded them down and I've just left them there. I haven't bothered putting them back up. Um, because they are basically useless. I mean, if, if you actually, think you are going to need to use seating for more than five people just go ahead and you know get a pathfinder instead you know <laughs> don't, don't even bother getting one of these you know one of these compact to mid-size uh crossovers just go for a proper third row you know so that it's going to be useful uh for a longer period of time and you know actual human beings can sit back there and have some place to put their feet um, because in, in this thing, it's useless. That aside, every, <laughs> everything else about this is, is pretty nice. You know, it, for the 2022 model, it still it has the same um, Nissan 2.5-liter four-cylinder and CVT combination that was in the 21 Rogue. Uh, for 22, the Rogue is getting um, a new 1.5-liter three-cylinder turbo uh, and uh, that has a little bit more power and more torque. Uh, and we talked about that one a couple of months ago when I had a chance to do a brief drive with it. Uh, and I'm guessing that probably for the 23 model year, the Outlander will probably get that engine as well. 
The other thing that's coming later this year for the Outlander is a new plug-in hybrid variant. The, the old Outlander um, was available with a plug-in hybrid uh, that a lot of people liked because you could actually get a pretty good deal on those things. You know, they were, um, you know, it didn't have a, I think it only had about 15 or 20 miles of electric driving range. Uh, but because Mitsubishis were not especially popular, uh, you could get some screaming deals on those things. Uh, I know a couple of people who bought them just because they got them so cheap. Um, and so the Outlander will be getting a plug-in hybrid variant later, the, later this fall. Um, it's, I think it's already on sale in Japan, but uh, we'll get it here this, later, later in the year. Is this, um, the, is this the one based on the previous design or the one on the new design? Because last year they had announced one on the previous, the plug-in hybrid that was announced. That was the previous design. This, this is on the, the new, this is a new design. Okay, yeah, because they, they, they essentially is like, hey, here's a plug-in hybrid that we've had in Europe for two years, but now you can have it here in the United States. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've, they've had them here for a couple of years. Uh, so this is this is on the new design. So okay. the, 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 brand new, the brand new version. Um, some of the other nice features that the Outlander inherits from, uh, from the Rogue is the second row, the, the back doors, the second row doors um, open up to almost a 90-degree angle. So if you are, you know, talked about mentioned, you know, getting kids in and out of that that second row, um, maneuvering them into car seats and things like that, being able to open up that door nice and wide is is a really nice feature. So you get lots of room. Of course, you do have to be careful in parking lots uh, because ding. <laughs> yeah, you're at, you might end up dinging somebody else's door. But um, you know, when you're when you're maneuvering those kids in and out, that is a very handy feature. Um, this one, you know, has got Assorted uh, drive modes. There's a knob on the center console to pick through eco, normal. Um, there's a tarmac mode, which I think is supposed to be a sort of sport mode, um, you know, for drive pavement. You know, didn't really seem to make any difference. Uh, there's also a, a gravel, it's only the snow mode, uh, which, you know, th those change the, um, the slip um, parameters for the traction control. Uh, and stability control system, um, so you'll get a little better, little better grip in those uh, deformable surfaces. Um, and you know, I, I like the interior of of the uh, the Outlander. I, I, you know, it's it's nice. You know, nice materials in this one, well laid out. Um, like the the new Rogue, uh, you know, it's got a much better screen than they had before. Uh, it does have support for uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. Uh, you got the same electronic uh, shift uh, lever uh, that's in the in the console that you have. You'll if you've driven if you if you've been in a 2021 Rogue and you get into this one, you will find a lot of familiar items. Uh, but you know then you know but the layout of the dashboard, you know the look of the dashboard is completely different. Uh, so it's it's a nice combination of the best of the the Rogue, you know, with a little bit different look to it, uh, which is is good. You know, I think it's a good look. Um, you know, I. As as these types of vehicles go, you know, I, I found it decent to drive. Um, you know, if you're not crazy about CVTs, uh, you know, you might not be crazy about that. But unfortunately, those are those are getting harder to get away from on a lot of vehicles. Uh, uh, you know, a, a lot a lot of um, these these size of crossovers have moved to CVTs, um, but it's not it's not a terrible CVT. But you know, that's that's about the only that's about the only powertrain complaint I had. Fuel economy was okay. It's been really cold here this week. Uh, I've averaged about 22 miles per gallon. Uh, EPA uh, rating is 26 combined. 
which when I've driven the, the Rogue in warmer temperatures, uh, it, it's able to manage that without any problem. Uh, 30 highway, 24 city. Uh, so it's this one, you know, you'll, you'll get decent fuel economy. And then later in the year when the plug-in hybrid comes, it should be substantially better than that. Um, so let's see, all in, this one uh, was the, the top trim level, the SEL. Uh, it also came with white diamond paint, which is um, actually just a very slightly off-white. It's like a very, very pale gray, uh, but they call it white diamond. Um, and that's like six, uh, $600 option. Um, all together uh, with the uh, uh, $1,195 destination fee, came to $38,950, which is not inexpensive. You can get you know, if, if you don't want all the options on there, you can get one, you know, under 30 grand, um, assuming you can find one, of course. Yeah. Uh, and a dealer hasn't put a $5,000 market markup on it. On uh, a Mitsubishi, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is the first time, you know, probably, I don't know, since I drove an Evo, uh, a Lancer Evo, that this was a Mitsubishi that I actually really liked, that I thought was a, a decent car. It wasn't, wasn't just recommendable because it was cheap you know it's actually recommendable because it's it's a decent vehicle so uh that's the the 2022 mitsubishi outlander sel 2.5 s all-wheel c all-wheel control i guess is what it's supposed to be um and then the the other one that i had um is i've driven before on on numerous occasions is the uh, toyota camry uh hybrid uh XSE. So the XSE is the uh, Camry trim that is the 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 most sporty variant of the uh, of the Camry. And Sport, sporty in air quotes because it's Camry. Yes. Sport, sport, sporty looking. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, there you go. It's you know, and and this one you know has a nice bold uh, red paint finish on it. Uh, you know, and to to be fair, you know this latest generation Camry on the the current generation platform. Like other current Toyota cars uh, on the TNGA platform, is actually vastly improved from uh, prior generations. It does have a lot better driving dynamics. Calling it sporty, you know, sporty in, in looks. You know, I mean, the Camry Hybrid is a nice, is a very pleasant powertrain, very fuel efficient, um, but you know, not the most exciting powertrain to drive. Uh, it's you know has a combined 208 horsepower. Um, but, uh, and it gets, uh, was it, it's, at, it's, com- it's rated at 46 miles per gallon combined, 44 city, 47 highway. So it is really, really fuel efficient, but it's not going to excite you. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, not gonna... it's, it's, it's sporty, like sporty spice, not sporty, like David Beckham. Like it looks there you cool. Go. You'll have yeah. some fun, but it's not like, Rah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, this one's got the supersonic red paint. Um, you know, and with the XSE, you get the two-tone, the black roof, um, and this one also had the black wheels and lots of black trim. So it's got a little more aggressive look to it. Uh, and the XSE trim, you know, the front fascia is a little more aggressive looking than on, on other uh, Camry trim levels. It, the Camry's a very pleasant, very roomy, very reliable vehicle. Um, you know, there's, if, if you're looking for, you know, Something that is going to start every day when you go out and you know press the button um, and going to get you or where you need to go years. for a hundred years, <laughs> and 
you know, other than, you know, an occasional um, oil change, um, you know, replacing some wipers, you know, as they wear out, things like that, you know, putting tires on, it'll basically run forever. As long as you put fuel in it, it'll run forever without, without any complaint. It'll just, it'll just get you where you want to go. And, you know, it looks reasonably stylish, you know, so it's, it's not bad. Uh, you know, it's got all the, the, the usual um, Toyota Safety Sense um, driver assist suite on it. Um, for the XSE, um, this one came to $38,369, so just, just a little bit shy of, the, uh, the, uh, of what the Outlander cost. Um, you can certainly get, if you don't want the, the extra flair of the, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, XSE trim, you can get uh, a, a, st- you know, a, a lower trim level uh, Camry hybrid in the mid-20s. You know, so it's it's actually quite affordable car. Um, so that is the the Toyota Camry X, Hybrid XSE in uh, supersonic red, which is by the way a, a great shade of red. I, I do like the color. I hope that it comes with like a little MP3 of JJ Fad, and it just like whenever you turn <laughs> the car on, it starts playing supersonic. For for those who are probably too young to know who JJ Fad is in the song Supersonic, uh, just look up Supersonic JJ Fad, and you'll have the best day ever. <laughs> All right. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's see what we've got next on the rundown. So, uh, we're recording this Sunday morning. Um, yesterday, no, day before yesterday, uh, Cadillac teased out, and it's going back to what you were talking about with the, the CT5, teased out the first, um, tr- uh, shots of the Escalade V. Uh, actually, I'm not sure if they're calling it the Escalade V or the Escalade V series, uh, it's not, not entirely clear. And they didn't give any details about it except for a few photos. Uh, they said more coming this spring. Uh, but there, there is one short video teaser that they had. It certainly sounds like it's got an LT4, the same engine that's in that CT5 Blackwing, uh, which that would, be, that would be good for a few laughs. It, yeah, it would be good for a, for a, for a little while. Um, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> that's a big car. The Cadillac Escalade is a huge 
it is a boat. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at the the less luxurious competitor, the Armada. I mean, the name right there. Yeah. So the Escalade is a very big thing, and then so you already have a lot of mass, and now you're just going to put a giant engine in it. So it's it's going to weigh more. It's going to be more powerful. It's going to be harder to slow down. I guess. It's, I, I people want these, but I, I think the, the the desire outweighs the practicality of some of these. Very large, like it's a third row. This is what you get for a third row. Like, yeah, if you if you if you want to carry some actual adults in there, you know, yeah, the third row, then you get an Escalade. You get an Escalade, or you get a Navigator. There you go. Yeah. You carry um, everyone you've ever met in the one vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the the LT4 in that's the supercharged 6.2 liter in the in the CT5. I think it's rated about 668 horsepower. Yeah. Um, and in the um, you know, the Escalade has more room under the hood, so it's conceivable that it could, you know, because they could put a little, maybe a little more free-flowing exhaust on that thing. I'm sure, you know, in the CT5, everything's kind of crammed in there to, to fit it all in. Um, so it could conceivably have a little more power uh, in in the Escalade. Not that you necessarily need it. I mean, just you know, a standard Escalade with the 6.2 liter is a fairly quick SUV given its size. Uh, and it's also got uh, a, a quite a, a prodigious thirst for um, premium fuel. Um, so, Oof, what would the uh, what do you think the gas mileage on this thing is going to be? I'm Eight? guessing it's nine, uh, <laughs> twelve. Uh, uh, probably probably twelve combined on EPA, and then mm. you know maybe ten city and uh, you know maybe fifteen sixteen highway. Yeah. So it's you know but and this thing is probably going to cost. I don't know, 130, 140 grand. Because, you know, even, you know, and the last Escalade Sport I had last spring, uh, I think was 108 or something like that. So I would guess you put an LT4 in there, bigger brakes, uh, you know, tires, you know, high performance or, you know, uh, performance seats, things like that. It's probably going to be in the 140 and 150 range. You know what, you know, it'll make it all better? Man transmission. Man transmission on a large <laughs> SUV. There you go. Perfect. No one, no one who's buying a large SUV wants a manual transmission. Like one, one they'll, person. They'll, they'll, they'll sell three of them. Yeah, one yeah. mom out there is like, I'm, I'm down for a manual transmission. <laughs> She's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. All She's right. like, you kids are not going to ruin my fun. <laughs> <laughs> Be the first ever Escalade with a manual. Sit down, shut up, hang on, we're going to school. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I think. If I'm not mistaken, I think the Escalade is actually the best-selling Cadillac. Um, oh, definitely. It has to be the best-selling yeah. Cadillac, just hands down. Or at least the one that makes them the most money. Yeah. It's the best-selling. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the cash machine. So they can really do whatever they want to it if they want. They can make, like, five of these and be like, it's fine because we make a ton of money off of this vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. Um, all right. Um, speaking of um, higher performance SUVs, um, as we record this tomorrow morning, uh, by the time you hear this, it, the news will already be out, uh, is the 2022 Ford Bronco Raptor. Uh, this is something that has been rumored uh, ever since they first announced the Bronco, um, that you know, that there would be a Raptor version of it, because uh, Ford seems to be moving in that direction, creating Raptor variants of, of a bunch of vehicles. They've got the F-150 Raptor, obviously, was the first. They've got a Ranger Raptor that's available overseas, and my guess is with the new generation Raptor, we'll probably get that here as well. 
or the new generation Ranger, um, and now the Bronco Raptor, um, and uh, it's going wide, getting 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 wide. It is getting wide. It's got those giant. Yeah, you know, you know, of all the Raptors that they have, this is the one that makes the most sense to me. To be to be completely honest, because you look at it and you're like, oh. Okay, yeah, this makes sense. Like a, like an F-150 Raptor, I, I know people love that thing. But going really fast in a pickup truck, I'm always just like, uh, all right. <laughs> um, but going really fast or having the capabilities of just doing crazy off-roady things in the Bronco, I mean, that's what it's sort of built for. And then just make it like, just kick it up a notch. For the people who just don't feel like buying all the extra things to make their, their regular Bronco go, uh, I guess, what they want to call <laughs> built wild to the extreme. Um yeah, this is yeah. I think this again. It, it makes the most sense to me. Uh, yeah, this thing is uh, not nine point eight inches wider than the standard uh, Bronco. I think I think it's nine point eight inches wider than like the Bronco Sasquatch. Uh, eight and a half inches of extra track comes standard with thirty seven inch wheel tire package. Um, they've beefed up the frame to. And you know, uh, revise the suspension so you get 13 inches of front wheel travel, uh, 14 inches of, of rear wheel travel, um, Fox shocks like you get on the uh, the, the F-150 Raptor, uh, and this one also gets um, the three-liter uh, EcoBoost V6, um, which is anything but eco in, in an application like this. <laughs> uh, which they haven't said what the power level is going to be, except that it's going to be 400 plus. Um, and 400, 400 horsepower, 415 foot, foot pounds of torque is what you get with that engine in the Explorer ST. So I'm guessing it'll probably be a bit higher than that, probably somewhere in the 425 to 430 range for the, the Bronco Raptor. Um, only available with the, the four-door, no two-door Bronco Raptor. Uh, and uh, no manual transmission, only the uh, 10-speed automatic. Also boo, but you know yeah. what are you gonna do? It's yeah, it's they're already like making a, a niche vehicle. They're not gonna like make it even more. You know, they'll again with the with the manual transmission, they'll sell five to like some hardcore people, and then everyone else is gonna buy it and never take it off road. But it'll be fun. <laughs> Apparently, when last time I talked to the folks at Ford, um, the take rate on the manual transmission Broncos is actually surprisingly higher than they expected. I th- I think it's. I think it was like on the order somewhere between fifteen and twenty percent. Ooh, uh, which which was really shocking that it was that much. Uh, but you know, it's pro- probably you know just the initial rush to get those, and then after that, you know, it'll drop down to like two or three percent of yeah, sales. That's that's I don't know. Take weights on manual transmissions. If you if you if your if your Bronco is not your main vehicle that you commute with every day, you know, you're stuck in traffic. I understand that one to manual transmission, but if you have, let's say, a Toyota Camry or something else that you drive to work and your your Bronco is your fun vehicle, man, get the manual. Get the manual. Get the manual. <laughs> that's my – that's it. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah. actually, you know, I, I drove the uh, the manual Bronco um, last June when I went to the, um, the first drive in Austin and, uh, you know, did a short route in the, the manual – Actually, especially if if you do plan on doing any off roading with it, I think I actually prefer the automatic. It's just less less hassle. Yeah, uh, I know. I understand the the less hassle thing. I'm just I I like a manual transmission off roading, but I'm also yeah. a weirdo. Well, and you know the <laughs> the manual. You know, it's. I mean, I love driving manuals, 
but the manual in the Bronco is not the slickest shifting gearbox in the world. You know, it uh, what's what fly- what what, um, what transmission do they have on that? I, I think it's a Tremec. Uh, I'm not sure huh. which one. Um, but you know, just the the linkage, it just kind of felt a little <clears throat> sloppy. Oh uh, well, yeah. you know, and, they all have a little weirdness when it comes off road. Yeah, that's true. And you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect something to shift like like a Miata or a BRZ. You know, in a in an SUV like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, the you know, I think with with this one, you know, with the Raptor, it's not going to matter anyway. There's that's just not even going to be an option with the that three liter V six. Um, and yeah. it, it does have paddle shifters on it though, uh, and you know, it's got all the all the other good stuff that you'll find in a Bronco for off roading. Yeah, you know, like you get the surround view cameras that you you can keep those on up to like I think it's twenty miles an hour. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're in one of the off-road modes, um, and they they added a couple of additional modes to that, I can't remember off the top of my head what they are. Uh, that uh, uh, you know for higher speed driving. So you know this this thing, the the Raptor, you know, like like the F-150 Raptor, you know, is more in some ways is more akin to like a Gladiator Mojave. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, for for higher speed desert running, you know, whereas if you know, if all you're ever going to do is rock crawling, um, you probably actually want to go with one of the the standard Broncos with like the Sasquatch package. Um, probably a, a two door as well. You want that shorter. Yeah, and um, I think the um, the crawl ratio uh, it, with the uh, Raptor is only sixty seven to one. <laughs> only sixty seven to one versus ninety five to one uh, with the the manual transmission. Um, and I think 80 something to one with the, uh, the 10 speed and the Sasquatch. Um, but like I say, you do get the standard 37 inch wheel and tire, uh, choice of a couple of different beadlock capable, uh, 17 inch wheels. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty cool looking vehicle. Did, did you look at, did you look through all the photos? Did you see the photo they had in there of, um, a regular Bronco parked, you know, the head on shot of the regular Bronco next to the, the Raptor? <laughs> how much I, I wider did. and it's, taller it is? Oh, like it, the the profile one, their head on, like it just looks like such. It makes the regular Bronco look kind of like, eh. like a sport. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, oh, well, whatever. Uh, it does, it does, it makes it look like a sport. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, are they? Sh-? Like, that was my first reaction. I was like, wait, are they showing off this versus the sport? Like, why are they? I'm like, oh wait, no, that's just the regular Bronco. This thing is is. What 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 is it again? Go wild, built wild, extreme built wild. Yeah, it's so extreme built wild that it makes the regular Bronco look like a Bronco Sport. Uh, yeah, so orders they're gonna start taking orders in March. Um, start deliveries early summer is the plan. Um, and uh, anybody who's on the Bronco reservation list will get first chance to to convert their orders to a Raptor. Um, they haven't said what the price is gonna be. I'm guessing it's probably going to be somewhere in the mid 60s or more as a, at least to start maybe 70. Um oh, you know. and you uh, uh, so if you I'm going to say if you have the regular <clears throat> Bronco on order make sure that your whatever deal you have with the dealership that's coming through doesn't have where they can mark it up. I was yeah. at a dealership this last week just sort of wandering around. I had to take the the um the 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 Kona in to get the uh, wireless charger fixed. They had to order a part. Um, and I was just walking around looking at markups. Like there was a GR86 down the street for fourteen thousand markup, 
And I went to the Ford dealership, and they're like, yeah, the Bronco, the, the markup is $20,000. $20,000. Just walk away. Just walk I, away. So, yeah. So if you get the Bronco Raptor, and you're like, yeah. But it turns out your dealership like can do whatever they want because you haven't like set up a deal where they will, you, you're only paying MSRP. Whew. That's going to be a... It's going to be a sad day when they come back to you with a $30,000 markup. <laughs> yeah, make make sure you get that in your sales contract when you uh, when you do the order. Uh, that you know, this is the price you're going to pay. No no additional markups. Yeah, somebody in the the wheel bearings cast um, Twitter uh, replied to the call out for questions yesterday with a they posted a photo of a sticker on a Mach-E with a $15,000 markup. So, yeah, it's don't don't do it. They, deal, dealers do this stuff because customers let them get away with it, and you know, because they yeah. they pay it and, and they they buy it. You know, just don't buy it. it. You know, Ford will keep building Broncos as long as customers are are buying them. You don't have to be the first on your block. Yeah, you can you can wait. <sighs> wait until the madness dies down. Um, so yeah, that that's that's going to be the summer. So yeah, it's probably sticker is probably going to be somewhere in the sixty-five to seventy thousand range, I would guess, because the Wrangler three ninety-two with the Hemi V eight, those things are seventy-five. So um, yeah, this I wouldn't be surprised if it went that high. I haven't seen a Wrangler three ninety-two in the real world yet. No, I, I haven't either. I'm sure someone's but, bottom just. Probably not around here. There's a lot of Wranglers around my my hood too. Well, they're 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 selling a a lot of um, uh, the um, plug-in hybrids, the the four by four by E's. Yeah. Um, like there, I was just looking at uh, some numbers yesterday, um, and uh, the the take rate for the four by E's, the market share for the four by E's, uh, when they from July through December when they started selling them, uh, was uh, something like a quarter. Uh, almost yeah, it was, it was almost a quarter of all the Wranglers sold in the second half of 2021 were four bikes. Wow. So they're they're doing really well with that one. Well, that should be that should be a sign to to Ford that they need to get the Bronco plug-in hybrid out. Yeah, and, and I'm sure I suspect that we'll probably see that you know within the next 12 months is a Bronco yeah. plug-in hybrid. Um, before uh, by that time, uh, we should also have another new product from Ford. Uh, they made an announcement this week. Of a joint venture with ADT, um, the uh, the wonderful security folks that charge you an arm and a leg to monitor the security <laughs> of your home. <laughs> um, yeah. The you know the 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 best the best way to get ADT to get sec- the type of security you get from ADT is just to go on eBay and buy the stickers and and signs and put, and put them on your windows and put put one on your front door or you know when you buy a house that's got the ADT security in there just leave the sign there and don't don't sign up for the the service the monitoring service it's the same thing or get a dog i get a dog with a really loud bark yeah Yeah. sure he interrupts the podcast but he also (laughs) terrifies anyone who comes near our house (laughs) exactly um anyway ford Ford and adt are teaming up uh to create a joint venture called canopy um that they're targeting it uh especially at their commercial customers but also at, at anybody else um that will utilize the, the cameras that are on all the vehicles they build now, uh, as well as the connectivity they have um, to monitor, you know, so monitor, you can monitor the bed of your truck. Um, it'll have, um, 
AI uh, software in there that's looking for anybody uh, that's not you um, taking stuff out of the bed of your truck or your SUV or your van um, and can automatically call ADT uh, and alert them. And also it can also it'll also alert you through a smartphone app so you can check, you know, you get an alert on your phone. You can see what somebody's doing. Uh, and then you can talk back to them, and it, it, uh, it'll have a, a speaker on there. So you can say, hey, get away from my truck. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully scare them off or, you know, get your dog to bark into your phone. There you uh-huh. go. Get that. Oh, God. <laughs> no one's afraid of you saying hey. That's all. Yeah. Of, hey. That, that's, that's the least terrifying thing you can yell at someone. Hey. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Leave those tools alone. Um, so... Uh, it's going to launch in 2023. Um, they're going to have an aftermarket product. Strangely, they're going to have an aftermarket product first that you can install in existing vehicles and won't be limited to just Ford vehicles. It'll be available for, for all kinds of vehicles. And then they'll also have it as a, as a factory option um, on new Ford vehicles as well. Uh, no word on pricing, um, but uh, you know, if you keep valuable stuff in your, in your truck, you know, your tools or parts or whatever it is um you know this some might be something that you're interested in yeah i mean it's it's it comes down to the 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 idea that uh if someone's going thieves are going to go to the least uh protected thing um if your door is locked and your neighbor's door is not locked they're going to go to your neighbor's house if your house has an ADT sign, and the neighbor's house does not have an ADT sign, etc., etc. If your house has a big, loud uh, dog, and your neighbor's house does not, that's what they're going to go. So it's you know just layer, layers of security. You should still you know totally lock down your tools if you have to keep them in your your vehicle with a nice uh, toolbox, and also just don't leave things in the back of your truck. But um, yeah, but I mean if you're you know if you're at a job site, you know like if you're yeah, a exactly. carpenter or somebody uh, or an electrician. And you know you're out of sight. You've got you've got stuff. You've got it open. Um, you know, and somebody happens to be wandering by. You know, because you're not you're not going to have everything locked up while you're working. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's you know kind of for that sort of trying to trying to stop the opportunistic thieves. Exactly. And you know I'm sure that we're probably going to see more of these kinds of deals with other automakers as well, uh, doing this certain sort of thing because you know all all the new vehicles are you know. Got all kinds of cameras all over the place, surround view cameras. Um, they're all they've all got connectivity built in. So this is this is the kind of thing where I can actually see automakers starting to generate some revenue from connected services is for this type of application. I think this yeah. is something that that at least some customers will be willing to pay for. Yeah, it's a subscription. More and more things are coming subscription wise to your car. So get ready. Um, uh, some some will, might be good, and most of them will be ridiculous and not worth your money or your time. Yep. Um, shifting to V12 engines, um, got some news. Uh, BMW announced shifting this week. away. Shifting away, <laughs> yes. Um, BMW announced this week that uh, later this spring they will be building their last ever production vehicles with V12 engines, um, and they're going to have a limited run of twelve. M760i final V12 uh, editions. Um, I suspect by now they're probably all sold. Uh, oh yeah, and they're you know they'll customers will be able to select you know from any anything in the BMW individual catalogs. So they can get whatever color combinations they want for interior and exterior and whatever other options. But uh, yeah, it's the end of the line for the BMW V12. 
Um, it, I guess they, they really don't need it anymore. I mean, the current yeah. the current one, you know, six and a half liters, uh, twin turbocharged, six hundred horsepower, six hundred one horsepower, I think, which is the same as the twin turbo V eight in the M five. Yeah, know? it's it's it, you know the V twelves were cool when they came out, and they were given you get all this extra displacement that you couldn't get from the other vehicle uh, other vehicles. But now you're just like, oh, all right, well. Really? No. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 lovely thing about a V12 is you know it's so smooth, you know, with all those all those pistons, you know, that there's no vibration, um, you know, so you just get it. It's almost like you know, like the kind of output you get from an electric motor, um, but uh, you know, just consuming a lot more fuel along the way. <laughs> so many tiny explosions. Yeah. Like how yeah, many times you double that? How many times explosions do you want? No, double that. That's yeah. we're gonna. But it's gonna yeah. be like, it's gonna be like a kitten purring. Um, it's gonna be a powerful kitten purring, uh, but also a very hungry kitten. I guess yeah. maybe not a kitten. Lion, tiger, tiger. Let's say tiger. There we go. Yeah. That's a better. <laughs> that's a better analogy. Yeah, the, the first the first BMW V12 I drove ever drove was the uh, the 850i back in like 1990 um, when I was I was working at the GM Proving Grounds and they had one in the uh, in the comparison fleet and so I got to take one home for a night and oh that thing was sweet but you know back then you know it was even then it was it was only 295 horsepower. Which, by current standards, I mean, you get two-liter four-cylinders that are putting out more power than that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, it was it was cool at the time, and now it's you're just like, ah. I mean, how much gas do you have to? I mean, I went with the tank size for this thing, and then how long will it go? 150 miles. <laughs> yeah. Like it's 20 gallon, oh, no, it's 25 no. gallon tank. Yeah, big, big, big tank. Big tank. Um, You'll get about 200 miles out of it for you, yeah. for your out. But it's going to be 200 amazing miles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another um, car, another company that uses big V12 engines is Lamborghini, and um, they are also planning to not necessarily shift away from the V12s entirely. But uh, apparently, this year, 2022, will be the last year in which they build only internal combustion engines. Um, starting in 23, they're going to start adopting electrification. Uh, I think you had a chance to, to talk with BMW CEO, didn't you, Robbie? Yeah, yeah. No, he's no. It was a good talk. I think there's they. Um, Lamborghini has a. I think when you when you're looking at the automakers and you look at electrification, everyone else you're like, okay, I can see where this. I can see where this works. I can see where this works. I can see where this works. Lamborghini has is an automaker built on emotion, more so than almost any other automaker. I mean, you look at a Lamborghini and you're like, oh, either either you love it or you're you're repelled by it. But it's 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 a very emotional brand. You have these giant engines. You have these very, you know, out there designed vehicles, and then you have that exhaust note, and just the the blah 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 blah. So you have all these things that are coming together to create that Lamborghini experience. And, you know, initially they're going to have the plug-in hybrids, which, you know, that, you know, they need those vehicles to drive around. You know, if you're going to buy a Lamborghini and you still want to drive around a city, you're going to have to have a plug-in hybrid because you're going to need to, especially in Europe, 
you're going to need uh, some sort of electrification powertrain in order to, to, to get around. Are you going to get taxed up the uh, wazoo? Or you just have to come. Yeah, in, <laughs> some, in some places you just won't even be able to drive. You won't, yeah, you won't be able to drive it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you have that. But then, you know, they also have the, the their electric car that's coming in the in the future at some point. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they, they navigate what's going on. Because they can still... You know, uh, I, I don't think people realize the amount of technology that goes into a Lamborghini. Um, it's it's actually quite a lot. It's actually pretty impressive um, as, as a brand. They they're actually pretty pretty forward thinking when it comes to tech. It's not just big dumb engines uh, and, and 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 outlandish vehicles. There's a lot of uh, thought goes into these uh, into these supercars. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens on, on that end. I think the hybrid, you're still going to get the nice loud. You're going to get all the things that you're used to from Lamborghini, um, and then the the, uh, the 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 transformation electrification. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be something that they're they're still figuring out. Yeah, I think um, you know most likely. I think they earlier this or last year um, they hinted at uh, a new uh, V12 hybrid model a limited edition model um derived from the aventador uh, which is their current v12 model um so i think that'll probably be one of the first ones that comes out next year and then the other thing that we'll probably see the first plug-in hybrid will probably be the um uh the urus because that shares its basic architecture with uh the porsche Taycan and the audi q7 and um those are both available with plug-in hybrid variants already uh, so it'd be pretty straightforward to to put that same system into the Urus, um, and so yeah, and that you know, that will probably end up being yeah. You know, I mean, I think the Urus is all, probably already the best-selling Lamborghini. At this oh point. yeah, it is. The, it is. It is, uh, it is. It is printing money for them. When I I, yeah. I remember on the drive program, I just pulled someone aside. I'm all, you guys to sell so many of these, <laughs> and they're like, we hope so. I'm like, no, you're going to sell a lot of these. Because you're just like, oh, it's, it's all the sort of emotion that you want. That you, 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 I wanted, I wanted a Lamborghini since I was a kid, but now that I have the money, I have a family, and I have, you know, I need, I need, I need something a little bit utilitarian besides, you know, a, a supercar that like it's, it's difficult to get in and out of because, you know, I'm a little bit older, so they have this, and so for for people who still want that Lamborghini brand, that Lamborghini sound, that Lamborghini feeling, but also got, you know things to do yeah. <laughs> there's the orders yeah so yeah i mean lamborghini ferrari is going hybrid as well with the the 296 uh so uh, yeah it's it's the end of the road or nearing the end of the road for the pure internal combustion engine um you know even even cars that still burn fuel are you know are getting some degrees of electrification coming to them yeah it, it, you know, it, it's it's funny. I was talking to one of the designers. I think it was the head designer of, of Bugatti um, at Pebble, and we were talking about electrification a little bit. And, and he was saying, he's like, you know, we make a couple hundred cars a year. Our carbon footprint is nothing. It's nothing compared to and and most of them don't get driven very much. Yeah, he's like, our cars get what maybe maybe three hundred miles of of driving every year. These are these are very much people who are investing in it's like art they're investing in a piece of art that they'll drive around a little while they'll show off it'll be like you know like the gallery showing will be them driving it to whatever event they want to go to and then in a couple years they sell it for uh for more money um you know lamborghini ferraris they get 
driven a lot more. They're they're not as expensive, but I think there's you know the the I think the carbon footprint of of Lamborg all of Lamborghini's cars is nothing compared to to you know some of the larger automakers out there. I mean their their carbon footprint of Lamborghini is probably less than Tesla when you think about like manufacturing. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you put everything and everything together, all you know when you think of all at the, at the end of the day, it's Tesla as a manufacturer. And an automaker uh, probably has a large, has a much larger footprint than Lamborghini or Ferrari. Maybe both of them put together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, both of those brands, you know, sell somewhere around eight thousand vehicles a year, um, and you know, most of them probably don't accumulate at at most a few thousand miles a year. Um, so you know, when you even even if they're getting you know ten or twelve miles per gallon, you know, the the total impact they have is trivial. Compared yeah. to you know, compared to you know, vehicles like an F one fifty that sells nine hundred thousand oh, units a year, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, the, gets you know sixteen or eighteen or twenty miles per gallon. The machine that tightens the bolts, uh, the, the the lug nuts on the F one fifty probably has a larger carbon footprint than all of <laughs> of Lamborghini. <laughs> You're probably <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Um, before we get into the Q and A, um, I. I have the the last of the interviews I did while I was at uh, the LA Auto Show back in November. Uh, it's uh, with Mike Darrow, the CEO of TrueCar, and we talked about uh, the new platform that uh, TrueCar has developed for selling vehicles online. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, a lot of automakers have developed online selling platforms for their dealers. Um, you know, not every dealer necessarily wants to use those, um, or you know, they they if in a lot, in some cases, you know, dealers might have uh, multiple brands that they're selling, and you know they want to have a platform that they can use across all of those brands. So, uh, TrueCar, uh, and also for the used cars as well. So, TrueCar has developed their own online selling platform that allows consumers to go in. And in the past, with TrueCar, you could go in and shop, you know, and do comparisons of cars and and shop around and see what, what was available. Now you can actually go in and and see what's in inventory at any given dealer and do the full transaction, including financing and insurance and everything right through that platform. And then even arrange for delivery, either going to a dealer to pick it up or, um, or, um, having it delivered to you, depending on, on where you are. Um, so, um, I'll drop that in here. And then after that, we'll have, uh, the Q and a, um, and, uh, that's Mike Darrow, CEO of TrueCar. Let's let's dive into TrueCar and, and what you guys are doing now. Yeah, so we've made a bit of a, a product pivot, uh, and recently uh, have started putting some things in the marketplace that we've actually been working on for about two and a half or three years, where we're allowing the consumer to take the purchase process beyond just shopping online. Because that's what TrueCar mostly was up until now. Yeah, right? it was shopping site. And what we would do is we'd get you, we'd show you dealer inventory, so you could see mm-hmm. pricing. And then if you found a vehicle you were interested in, we'd make a connection uh, for you with the dealer and you could continue the process there. What we've done now is started to build out the technology that will allow a consumer to go from what we say discovery to driveway, which is from shopping through finding a car they want with the price they're looking for, actually calculating a payment, a real payment that would be similar to what you'd do in a showroom. Uh, about three years ago, we invested in a company called Dealer Science. It was developed um, by a third-generation Honda dealer, and it's a, a, a legitimate desking tool. And we built that into our software. So 
if you find the vehicle you're looking for, you get the price, then you, we put you into the desking tool. You can tell us whether you're a lease or a loan type customer. You can calculate your payments. It's sort of a digital equivalent of going into the F&I office. Exactly. Or it's even pre-F&I. It's kind of what the salesman would do okay. with how much can you afford kind of thing. So we're replacing those showroom activities. We made an investment in a company, another company called AccuTrade. Uh, and they allow us to put a guaranteed cash value on your trade-in. So if you're shopping on our site and you're getting ready to buy that new Jaguar and you want to trade your Mazda in, you put your plate in, tell us a little bit about the car, and we can give you a guaranteed cash offer so that when you go to the dealership, you don't have to worry about what, what value they're going to put on my car. Or, you know, am I going Because a lot of that that happened at the dealership was, did that particular dealer want that piece of inventory? Right, and we can look at cars and say, "Here's the demand for that car." We can put a value on it that we know other dealers will take for it. So it's, it's enabled us to create a real cash value to, for the car. So you found your car, you got your price, calculated your payment, know the value of your trade. Then we did a partnership with a company called AutoFi, and they're a lending as a solution, you know, fintech kind of company, and it allows the consumer to connect directly with the lending. Uh, sources. So you fill out a credit app on our site, we'll send it out to a half a dozen different banks, they'll send the returns back to you, which is the F&I office type stuff you'd normally do in a dealership, and then you can select from what you've seen return to you and actually lock in the financing. Then we do insurance products, you know, extended warranties and you know, tire and wheel protection, whatever, gap insurance, whatever it is you may be looking for, similar to what you'd see in a dealership. Uh, and then you're the paperwork, right? We, so we have a deal, an electronic deal sheet that we print out. The consumer can sign that. The dealer signs it. And, and all of this is done with dealer inventory and dealer numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So we're just the technology that's kind of enabling the demand side of the business to connect with the supply side. And, and, and it allows us um, to be flexible and, and kind of adaptive, nimble, because it's an asset light kind of a deal. Carvana, for example, mm -hmm. is a vertically integrated dealership. Right, because they have to buy the cars and store them. Recon and, the car yeah. and move it, all of that stuff. We're working out of the local dealer inventory, you know, for these situations. So we get you through the paperwork, and then you tell us, do you want to go to the dealership and pick the car up? About 50% of people tend to indicate they do. They still want to meet the service manager. If it's a new car, they want to get their warranty work or, you know, service done. And the other ones say, hey, ship the car to me and... We're, we're doing testing right now with a national uh, shipping company called Assertus, uh, and you know we're in pilot, and we'll see how that comes up. But we plan to have a national network to eventually ship cars for consumers all across the U.S. So, for the, how are the dealers responding to this? You know, we're getting a much better response than we would have two years ago. So, mm -hmm. COVID had a huge impact oh, yeah. on our industry, right? So, it, it accelerated the dealer's understanding of having to find new ways to do retail. Uh, and, and what they're feeling is, I think, which everybody in our industry is, is that you can buy products outside of automotive digitally on almost everything, right? You can buy major appliances, you can buy shoes, you can buy books, you can buy boats, you can buy everything, but you come to automotive and it's still very um, non-sophisticated in that way. So that's our goal. We want to build, bring a real two-sided marketplace uh, to automotive where buyers and sellers can come together. Uh, Amazon's the easy compare, but that's too easy. You think of a company like uh, Airbnb. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've ever used Airbnb. Uh -huh. but they, 
they got these local homeowners who they bring out, and then you got people who want to travel. They make the connections, and and they're just the technology in between that. So, so yeah, a lot of OEMs over the last year and a half, you know, have been rolling out various form digital platforms yeah. to try to you know enable sales online, right. and you know, I, I think. You know, for a lot of the, their franchise dealer partners, you know, there's some concern, you know, that that the OEMs are trying to disintermediate them. Right. Um, are you finding that they're maybe more welcoming to your solution as opposed to the OEM solution? Um, because of the, you know, they they maybe maintain a little more control over the process or have more yeah. involvement in it. I, I think retailers and their OEM partners are rebuilding their relationships right now. Some of them, like Nissan, has launched Nissan from home. Uh, the de- Nissan dealers we talk to, some of them like it. So I mean, you know, I, I think what you'll see is Ford announced, Farley announced this morning that they want to get big into build to order, mm-hmm. and so. That's another step that the OEMs can take to build the car. What, what we're hearing from Ford is they're still going to deliver it through the dealer, so you'd order it. So, right. We're seeing they're just trying to reduce the amount of inventory the dealers have to carry. That's right. You know, I mean, for, there's advantages and disadvantages. You know, for the, the dealers, uh, you know, they, they don't have the, the floor plan costs. You know, if they've got less inventory, um, you know, there's, there's less risk in that respect. On the other hand, you know, there's less opportunity, you know, for somebody that walks in and they want to drive off with a car today instead of having to wait six weeks. Or, right. Well, uh, and, and, you know, pre-COVID, I think the industry ran at around 90 days supply. Ford's claiming to be at 20 now. I think their ideal target is 60. So you can Yeah, it's traditionally been the, the target is around 60 days. Yeah. So I think if they manage the inventory back to about 60 days, there's there's a pretty steady flow of immediate demand in our country that other markets... Like in Europe, I guess everybody orders everything. Dealers don't, you know, yeah, actually it's, stock it's, cars. Yeah, it's very so different. There's, there's almost four million cars a year in the U.S. that are total lost. So those people come to the market, they're not going to order. Right, right? they need they, they something got, they, now. They got nine days to do something, settle a claim. Now many of them are used car buyers; they're replacing with a used car. But there's some immediate need in our industry that brings immediate buyers to the market, and I think the OEMs will find the sweet spot that the, where that should be. You know. 60 days is probably a good number if you can keep it around there. Um, it gives I, th- you- I, think they, I think they would actually prefer to get it probably closer to 30. Uh, they can do forward. it. Yeah. They can do it. The, the problem is when you place an order, and I've heard this, and you probably have too, a lot of people have gone on that Bronco mm-hmm. order list, right? Yep. What happens is after a couple of months, it sounded like a good idea, but then they get bored and they go, the heck with it. I'm canceling it. I'm going to yeah. go buy something else. So what I would wonder is how long will someone wait? You know, on a build to order, and if somebody, if some competing brand has the car sitting there that they want, well, if it's Tesla, apparently it's multiple years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tesla and the Bronco, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're taking Bronco orders for next yeah. summer. I'm hearing so. Yeah. And, and hey, well, you know, with, with Mach E, you know, they they open the order book, you know, a year before the right. first, more than a year before the first deliveries. And I know a friend of mine. You know, he ordered ordered his on day one, at, you know, in November of 2019, mm-hmm. and got it uh, in February of this year. Right. So it was, you know, 14, 15 months. Yeah, a lot. We, we were down talking to the Nissan folks. They introduced their Aria mm-hmm. today. They opened up yeah. the order bank for that today. They're starting to see some things come in. So that's going to be 10 months before those cars arrive, that's at right. least minimum. Right. What what we tend to see from consumers 
unless they're very brand loyal and they get a BMW every three years or a Nissan, they want to shop across brands. And no matter what kind of tools the dealers and the OEMs introduce, it's still going to be very brand-centric. So we think one of the values we bring is we allow a consumer, we've got about 450,000 new cars on our site, we've got about 700,000 used cars. So you can look at the Nissan next to the Toyota, next to the Honda, you can look at um, you know the BMW, the Audi, and the Mercedes all together, rather than having to go to Mercedes and look, go to BMW. So. We think there's some convenience mm-hmm. in building out that marketplace. Doing, you know, doing your comparisons in one place. That's right. Um, does, is your platform intended to go for both new and used yes, products? New so, and used. Okay, so that's you know that's probably an advantage you might have over most of the OEM solutions. That's right. Um, as well as the Carvanas and the yeah, yeah. that are all used. Right. Um, yeah, because you got you got that that choice that option for consumers. Yeah. How you know from a business perspective, you know how do, you know how does it work? You know, does TrueCar get a a cut of every transaction? Or is yeah, that basically so it? our relationship with our retail partners is transaction based. Uh, right now, they pay us two ninety nine for every new car we help them sell, and three ninety nine for a use. Okay. So, unlike some of our competitors who are more like marketing platforms, and they sell advertising space and subscriptions and buttons and bells and you know we don't have any ads on our site we're tri- our site's built to take a, someone who's in the shopping process and move them to the purchase in an orderly fashion and until recently we moved them to the purchase and then we handed them to the dealer now we're going to create an environment where they can take those you know half a dozen final steps on our site still be dealing with a dealer, still buying a dealer's piece of inventory, but actually being able to do the whole thing without leaving the, um, you know, the true car environment. Mm-hmm. And that's called True Car Plus. True Car, true plus. car plus. That's the, that's the And name. it's called Plus Nine, yeah. not the word. That's right. <laughs> Braving. Yeah. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Is that uppercase or lowercase? I was with Toyota on uh, on Sunday and Monday for their Evolution event. They were doing an Encinitas, and they were they showed us the uh, the BZ4X. Mm-hmm. And you know, aside from being just a ridiculous name, um, <laughs> you know, they've also got this mixed case, lowercase b, uppercase z, z, four, yeah. uppercase x, and the the way they had it on all the materials, the lowercase b was super scripted. It's like. Oh, you aren't seriously expecting us to write it like that, are you? <laughs> you know, it was funny. We were standing, I, I don't remember, Beth, if I was with you and Noreen, but we were standing looking at that vehicle we were. outside of the saying, Toyota yeah. display, and one of their PR folks was talking to someone from the media, and I guess the B stands for it's beyond, beyond zero. zero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had no yeah. idea what, you know. We thought it's just random assembly of letters. It's beyond zero. The four <laughs> is an indicator of, you know, where the vehicle stands in the lineup from a size perspective. Right. Okay. You know, so the higher the number, the bigger the vehicle, lower number, smaller vehicle. And then the X is crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, so presumably when there's an electric sedan, it'll be a, an S or something else. It's like know. a math problem. Yeah. yeah. It is. Like <laughs> equation. You're right. It's a little equation. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, BZ4X just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah what I, you I, 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 I will recommend to just just to spite that naming convention. I will recommend to people to just go to a Subaru dealer and buy a Solterra. <laughs> the same car, <laughs> and it has a better name. That's yeah. They're sharing a platform with them. On that. Yeah, yeah. They co-developed it. You know, Subaru did a lot of the engineering work on it, um, and you know, built on the same assembly line. Yeah, and you look at them. Aside from some slight differences in the front fascia, they're identical. 
And if you take the badges off, 99.9% of people won't tell them apart. Um, so um, when, when did True Car Plus roll out? We're, we're in uh, testing in a, uh, a market in Florida right now. Okay. And then the plan is through Q1 of 2022, we'll try to start rolling it out in, in, uh, in the state of Florida. Uh, a lot of big markets there, as you know. And then we picked Florida because there's limited impact of seasonality mm-hmm. down there. You know, you get pretty good weather most of the time. So we'll, we'll be pretty well covered uh, uh, through Florida at the end of uh, Q1. And then we'll start looking at other markets to roll out. There's, there's um, some dealer participation elements in it that you've got to, we got to spend some time with the dealers in the market to get them on board. So there's some SLAs we ask them to live up to. They can't change the deal, can't change the price, can't change any of the parameters of the deal. Uh, they got to have a seven-day return policy. You know, we're, we're bringing some of the elements that we've learned from some of the, you know, folks who have really raised the bar on consumer experience. CarMax is one. You know, some of them are out there that have done it. And uh, so that's going to cause us to do it market by market versus a national thing because we want to make sure that the dealers live up to the expectations on you know yeah. what we're putting out there. So, so consumer experience is key. Yeah. So so dealers, you know, as they get inventory, they'll enter then that vehicle into the system. Yep. That price is fixed, um, and you know when when a shopper goes through, selects a car, you know that's that's the price they pay, and there's no no negotiating about it. Done deal. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting, we did some research because at one time, you know, TrueCar's brand was a lot about pricing. You know, how do I go to TrueCar and understand pricing? Consumers tell us what they're looking for around pricing is more fairness than the lowest price. Now, there are some folks who will spend three weekends arguing over 100 bucks, but most folks don't have time for I've that. I've never right? done that. <laughs> so, Actually, so no, I haven't, because anytime, if it comes down to that, I just walk away. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah, frustrating. So, so people are saying, hey, if you... If you show me a price and it's got everything in it, I don't want to get to the end and find out there's three things you're going to add to that. So that's another part of the SLA with the dealers is price has to be the complete price. Uh, and if you can show me data that says that's a fair price compared to what other folks are paying, which we do now, um, that that's good. And they're ready to go. And if the experience is better, they're more than happy with that. So, you know, the, the, the Internet got the blame for forcing dealer margins down at one time. I think now it's starting to... The tide's starting to swing on that and say, you know, we may be able to improve the relationship between the dealer and the consumer around pricing because the, the proposition's better. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you're, if it's less frustrating for consumers, you know, if, it's, if you don't have that hassle, people will probably be willing to pay a little bit more just to be able to get the, get the deal over with. That's right. Yeah. What, what, Perfect what, evidence for me is you look at my DoorDash bill. Yeah. Right? I mean, I pay, I pay for the convenience of having somebody bring that yeah. bag to my house. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's great. One, one other thing um, with, you know, suppose uh, a consumer from, you know, outside of the region where that dealer is, you know, is shopping for something that may not be available in their area. They, they, they can look around, you know, in some other zip code or, you know, a couple hundred miles away. Um, is there, do you have anything in the platform to arrange, for example, for shipping? We do. Okay. Yeah, we're going to get involved in the shipping process. We're in a test right now to do that and ship nationally. What, what, we're, what we're figuring out now is, particularly on new cars, there's some tax regulations about buying cars out of state versus in state. And we got to make sure our product addresses yeah. that. So, if you're here in Southern California and you find a car in Arizona, 
you want we got to make sure all the tax things are taken yeah. care of and but if that. you know if you if you want to buy something from the the bay area for example yeah, yeah, yeah they can put it on simple. truck and that's very yeah. simple yeah um what about um oh, what was i going to ask you i i uh, slipped right out of my mind um oh for the the used cars for the trade-ins um is uh, the trade-in? Those are going to the dealer, and you're you're not. Uh, I mean, aside from facilitating the transaction, you're not um, you're not buying those cars. The dealer is buying those cars, and then they they take care of any refurbishment and, and yeah. putting we, it back. We in call the it a backstop value, which is a guaranteed yeah. value. Um, if the dealer gets the car and says, "Hey, I don't want it," we will take it. But what we do is we just immediately move it to another dealer who wants it. Yeah. Where we see that happen is if it's an off-brand kind of thing that it you know. Somebody tried to cha- uh, trade a very expensive portion at a Chevy store, maybe, uh-huh. and the Chevy guy's going, "I don't, I don't kiss, I don't know what to do with this car, yeah. so we'll move it." But it's less than 0.5 percent of the vehicles we put a number on that we actually get back. Okay. Very, very small. Okay. Used car market is very hot right now. Dealers want every used car they can get, so we see very seldomly do we see a, 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 an exchange or you know someone saying, "Hey, I don't want this car, come get it." All right. And so consumers would go to truecar.com and find that interface then? Yeah. And like I said, we're we're testing it by market, so you'd have to be in the zip code of one of the markets Mm -hmm. we're testing in. But, yeah, we put them right into the experience and boom. All right. Excellent. Sounds sounds like something that, uh, you know, another solution that I think consumers will be interested to try out, um, you know, to, to make that car shopping experience a little... A little less painful, a little less friction. And, and, and the beauty of it is we're bringing the dealers with us yeah. so that hopefully we can change that dynamic from them being the bad guy to now they're the good guys. They can do the things they're good at, right? They can do service. They can do follow-up. They can do the things that gets the consumer beyond that price gnashing and all of that things that go on a purchase. So. Great. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, great meeting. I appreciate it. Good talking to you. Alrighty, and now we've got a bunch of listener questions that came in over the last couple of days. Um, first one from Dan Vesma uh, at Dan Vesma on Twitter he asks: uh, Through some sort of mix-up, you have to pick one British car to use as your daily driver. Thirty thousand dollar budget, used or new? Which car? What color? Oh man, that is that's a tough question. <laughs> Especially given that there's not a whole lot of British cars left. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, and, and like the entire time you were you were telling everybody to list, uh, talking about True Car, I was like, oh my god, what do I got? <laughs> Who's making cars still that I could afford? <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, th- I think at this point, you know, for a thirty thousand dollar budget, it's going to have to be something used. Yeah, you're not going to get anything new. Um, oh. I mean, it's basically Jaguar and Land Rover. And Rolls Royce and Bentley is the the British car industry now. You can cheat and say Mini, but it's not really. That's a British. Well, it's a British car, but it's a German owned British car. So does that count? Tech. Um, I, yeah, I would say so. All right, so as, gonna, as long as it's a hard top, it can't. It yeah. can't be like the um, the Countryman or the. Uh, it can't be yeah, the those Countryman because those are built in Austria. Or, okay, no, they're built in the Netherlands now. Um, but uh, yeah, Mini Mini would count. That's British. I'm going to say um, the Mini then. Yeah, I think that's that's. I mean, I, I would I would like it to be the Defender, but um, that's it starts at like fifty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> so the Mini, the hardtop Mini. Um, I don't. 
Where's the Mini SE built? I'm, I'm sure it's probably built in the Yeah, all, the all, same... the, all the small Minis are built yeah. in Oxford. I'm going to say the Mini SE. Just because... Um, uh, and and this is just this is uh, anecdotal evidence, uh, but everyone I know who's owned a mini has had some sort of transmission problem. And uh, <laughs> when you have an electric mini, you don't have that problem. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I don't know if you've been. I don't know if you follow Lisa Laporte on Twitter. Uh, I do. Her mini SE is oh, no. stuck in the garage right now. Uh, apparently, it's got some kind of fault. It won't run. And they sent out two different tow trucks yesterday. To try and get it out of the garage, they couldn't. The, to, the tow truck drivers could not figure out how to get it out of the garage. It's, oh, because it's locked. Yeah, I mean, you know, jack it up no and put some wheel dollies under it. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I, I don't know what the problem is. Might be transmission. Who knows? <laughs> but it it won't move right now. Oh no. <laughs> I'm just gonna still say the mini S. That's yeah. that's that's my under thirty thousand because it's like twenty nine nine something. Um, yeah, it's and it, yeah. So that's my thirty thousand dollar. British car, um, definitely not a like a. I've driven voxels before and they're fine, I guess. <laughs> I I am gonna say technically the car that we have in our garage is a British car. Uh, our 2017 Honda Civic hatchback was built in the UK at Honda's plant, Honda's UK plant, um, and so technically it's British. It was built there with British labor, British parts. Or at least some British parts, um, and then imported to the to the U.S. Um, so I'm going to go with the previous generation Honda Civic hatchback. Uh, the new Civic hatchback, the, the 2022 models um, that uh, both uh, Nicole and I drove in recent weeks, those are actually built here in Ohio uh, or in Indiana. Indiana. Uh, but the the old the previous generation were built in the U.K. So I'm going to go with the Honda Civic hatchback. I like how we're 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 essentially just uh, <laughs> this is not good for the. For the uh, the um, the British automotive world, because we're just like kind of like whoa technicalities. We're using technicalities. <laughs> I will say that I can get the uh, the the Cooper SE um, hardtop in British Racing green for no extra money. Oh, twenty nine thousand nine hundred dollars. Boom, great. That's Do it. Perfect. Electric, the electric mini. SC 116. I got to 120. I don't know how I was able to get 120 miles of, of range, like driving, like I do. Uh, but yeah, driving night, downhill. Driving downhill. No, it's 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 a fun. It's a great little car. I really had yeah. a lot of fun driving that thing around. I was sad when it left. That that doesn't happen a lot. Like a lot yeah. of cars, I've I've have them. Some of them I get a little sad when they leave, but most of them are just like, well, that was that was a thing that happened. Yeah, that was fine. I I don't know if I'm cynical, but that's just the, that's that's just the nature of the job. <laughs> well. Uh, one of one of the strange things about our our Civic, and actually I, w- I would have picked the Civic Type R, but I don't think you could. I don't. I doubt you could oh, get no. a used one for under thirty grand right now. Um, but um, the engine in our Civic, the one point five liter turbo, was actually built in Ohio. It was manufactured in Anna, Ohio, shipped to the UK, installed in a Civic in the <laughs> Civic hatchback in the UK, and then the car was shipped back here. That's a, so that's that, a well-traveled engine. That, that engine had a lot of miles on it before it ever turned over. <laughs> oh. All right, n- next one from Wes. Um, with future implementation of solid-state batteries and the efficiency gains from optimized hardware software integration, you think we'll see a return to the, ve- the vehicles being designed more for style and elegance, uh, like in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, putting drag coefficients in the back seat? I think so. I think there's, 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 I, I, this is a really good point I hadn't really actually thought about is that at some point 
the EVs, especially especially you know if solid state or lithium ion just gets quick enough, where and again I think it's it's now I feel like it's less about range anxiety, it's it's about charging anxiety. Like oh, it's going to take twenty thirty minutes to do this, and when you can charge up a, an EV in five ten minutes. And it's getting, you know, the battery technology has gotten, you know, super efficient where you're not, ha- you don't need a, you know, a, a 0.2 drag coefficient. I think we're going to probably see a little bit more uh, adjustment in, in design styles where, you know, the EQS I think is, is, a, is a great car, but I think it also kind of does not, it sort of looks like a, a Mercedes, but mostly it's, it's designed to do really well, to be very efficient mm-hmm. um, exterior wise. So I think that's, you know. We're probably going to see more S-classy EQSs in the in the future as everything gets a bit more efficient. And well, I mean, you, know. you got the the Lucid Air. Yeah, no, the you Lucid know, it's, Air is, it's is slick, beautiful. But, you know, it's it's got a, a distinct look to it. Yeah, I think you know, I think we're gonna. I mean, we're we're we will definitely see more uh, big weird uh, trucks. I can tell you that more Bollinger type vehicles that have zero that would have had zero drag coefficient. Yeah, well, the, the drag the, coefficient would have been like three point eight or something. <laughs> Yeah, you got the Hummer EV, and you know the the F one fifty is you know the F one fifty Lightning is not exactly slick, and oh, the, yeah, the Cybertruck, uh, you know. So it's, yeah, I mean that, we'll we'll definitely see more, um, more in, you know, different takes on design. Yeah, I mean design is an ever evolving thing. I don't th- I don't know that we'll necessarily go back to you know something like the thirties, forties, or fifties. You know, certain you're definitely not going to have you know those um, you know pointed you know those Torpedo big, style lights and things like that, you know, because those tend to impale pedestrians. Oh yeah, I was like, uh, why not? I'm like, oh yeah, the same reason you can't have like we have a ja- we have the Jaguar logo, you know, the 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 jumping the jumping the cat, cat on our on our Jaguar, and you can't sell uh, those in in Europe anymore because well they stab people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone gets hit with their car, they immediately get impaled. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up from uh, Nth Degree Burns on Twitter. Uh, he's actually got three questions. Um, so start off with: um, Are any manufacturers offering OEM upgrades for their charging clusters to go from USB A to USB C? Are there any aftermarket companies making drop-in replacements for charging clusters? Uh, examples: Center console, two USBs plus one aux port, and my RAM fifteen hundred, for example. Well, I'm going to assume, based on your description there, that your Ram 1500 is a pre-2018 model, because uh, the ones after 2018 all have multiple USB Cs and As, um, as do all the Stellantis vehicles now. Um, <clears throat> I doubt you're going to see any sort of um, drop-in replacements because every every vehicle's got a different configuration of where the ports are, and it, it, it's not it's not like you know, in the past with audio head units where you had a standardized format, that's that's never been standardized. You know, the port, the USB ports have never been standardized. So a drop-in replacement. But your best bet is just to get um, like a, a little uh, adapter that goes into your 12-volt socket, your lighter socket, um, with a couple of USB-Cs. And I'll, I'll put a link in the, uh, um, in the show notes uh, to Monoprice. Uh, they've got a, a 12-volt. Um, sock, uh, 12 volt adapter um, with two USB C's uh, that does I think 48 watts, has 48 watt output, um, or 40, 45 watts. So this will do you know fairly fast charging on any 
any modern phones or devices with USB-C. Um, and, you know, with 45 watts, you can even charge, like, you know, low-end MacBooks, and, you know, low-end laptops uh, at a semi-reasonable speed. Um, and that's only $16.99. So that's, that's your best bet is to just get something like that. If you want to go really crazy, you can rewire the ports. And if it's a, its own panel, if it's not part of a larger panel, like the, where the, the, the actual ports are, you could 3D print. You could measure it out. <laughs> you could bust out the 3D printer, and you could 3D print a replacement port that'll that'll accept the USB-C uh, instead of USB-A. Um, that's a you know that's if 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 you're a nerd, you do you know go for it. See what happens. Yeah, <laughs> it should be yeah. fine though, and it's just yeah. I mean yeah, yeah. I, I I doubt yeah. Like I said, I don't think you're gonna see you know aftermarket solutions like that just because they're so non-standardized. But yeah, um, it's, but it's, but definitely you know. Uh, you can you can do it yourself, you know, do it yourself solutions and and also just you know stuff that you plug into the twelve volt outlet. You could also you wouldn't even have to rewire it. You could probably just get like a little cable that goes from USB A to USB C that has the uh, that's a let's see, yeah, you could go to USB A to USB C that has the the female uh, receptacle and then three D print that thing and put it in there. That way you're not like messing with things. But it mean you're still yeah. gonna have well, USB A. I mean, if you if you if you're gonna hour. do that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If you're going to do that, yeah. you probably want to go ahead and rewire it so you get the high, the power delivery, get the higher yeah. wattage that you can't get over USB A. USB A is limited to you know, yeah. five or ten watts. You charge it. You yeah. try to plug in your laptop, and it takes three. It's it's just barely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. The next question from Nth Degree Burns uh, is regarding the uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Did you get information about the two-row version? Any chance of a discount for deleting uh, deleting the third row? I'm assuming. Would the resulting deletion leave a relatively flat load floor, like the custom uh, no third row on the Chevy Tahoe LS? Um, so um, the the two the two there is a two-row Grand Cherokee. There's not going to be a two-row Grand Cherokee L. There's a standard two-row Grand Cherokee, which is shorter. Um, you know, so you get, you know, less cargo space, you know, less, less volume inside. Uh, but just, you're not, I don't think there's ever going to be a, a delete option for the third row on the Grand Cherokee. Oh, I don't know if you heard anything different. No, and it, you wouldn't save any money. It's like, it, I used to be a vegetarian, I was a vegetarian for 17 years and, um, taking the meat off of the meal didn't save me any money. <laughs> like this is the price. This is what you're paying. And even for, especially for this, the deletion would be more money for the because they have to because they they're they're built a certain way this is how we build this widget this is how we build this widget hey can you take this one notch off this widget you're like what well that's going to take extra work because this is how we build the widget this is how we build the widget so yeah you i mean you could again uh you could probably get it custom you could buy the buy it with the third row have it removed have someone take it out and then I don't or just know. fold them down and leave yeah, them there. And, I feel like and just folding it down would be if fine. You ever, if you ever have an emergency and need to carry you know, sixth or seventh passengers, so you've got them there. You yeah. can just pop them up. What's nice also is if you have that third row, like in that, like say, like say in that Outlander where you don't have it, it keeps things from rolling around. There you go. That's true. Yeah. You can, that, that's what the so third row is for. It's a partition there. Yeah, it's a partition. It's yeah. the, the Outlander third row isn't so much for sitting. It's for partitioning. Can constrain your dog. You know, keep yeah. them in a, in a constrained area. You yeah. stay here, dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and then regarding Roberto's advice about leasing an EV, uh, or does Roberto's advice about leasing an EV change with a pl- uh, plug-in hybrid? He's recommended leasing EVs since battery and charging tech is changing so much right now. Uh, is that as much of an issue if you're still making, if you're still mixing the battery and an ICE? 
I, you know what? I think you could just buy a, a PHEV. I mean, we, we look at, um, uh, I think Toyota, especially. You look at what Toyota's done. I mean, most of those vehicles are, are going forever. Um, they still have some pretty good range. And you're you're going to lose some range, but you're also not using the the battery 100% of the time when you're using a PHEV. You're, 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 you're using it maybe 50, maybe 40. There's a lot of, like, sort of switching back and forth and how you're doing it. If, I think you, you think you're, you're you're probably uh, going to be a, a bit more uh, safe buying uh, a PHEV. If you can't, I mean, I feel like leasing right now is almost sort of the the, the power move, just because buying anything is so expensive. And you can there still are some lease deals that you can um, you can sort of get into that are from the manufacturer. So leasing might just be the way to go. Period. If you need a car and you don't want to pay twenty thousand dollars above asking. Or fifteen thousand dollars, or you know, um, you know, yeah, you know, if you're, when when you're out there looking at what you, what you want, um, see what the manufacturer is asking, and just hammer that home when you go into a dealership. We're like, well, the manufacturing has this lease deal for this, 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 and this, and if they're like, well, and you're just, again, just walk away because someone will make that deal for you because they, when you lease, they feel like they really got you because yeah. they got they they know they know four years from now you're going to be back for something else exactly you're going to come back and you're you're a repeat customer as far as they're concerned when you when you lease and also you're someone who's going to come in for service because you don't you want to make sure that lease at the end of that three years you're not going to you know incur any weird charges because you didn't take care of it or whatever so yeah so yeah I mean that sounds like leasing may may still be a good deal for you right now you know in terms of the technology you know it probably doesn't make much difference um, you know I mean one one thing you know just as with battery electrics you know with a plug-in hybrid um, plug-in hybrids are um, getting improved with better batteries so you're getting more electric range I think uh, the 22 model uh, Volvo plug-in hybrids um, all have higher capacity batteries now. So the range is going from like 18, 19 miles up to about 28, 29 miles uh, for the 22 models. So, um, yeah, there, there's still some benefits to, to leasing even with a plug-in hybrid. All right. Uh, Reader Carmi on Twitter asks, uh, thanks for a- answering my question. Um, I, I agree that dealerships are terrible. Uh, wish I could avoid them. Uh, Hyundai USA's website excludes the Ionic 5, but thanks to you guys, I looked at my local dealer's uh, webpage, and they gave and they have them in stock. Um, face with open... Oh, uh, yeah, he's got a facepalm emoji in the tweet. Um, I'm, going to te- I'm going to take a test drive. Um, it says, I rented a Tesla Model Y from Turo for a test drive and to run errands. It's the right size to replace a Prius. Uh, supercharging may be a lock-in. Um, there are no other fast chargers in Wyoming, which I drive to frequently, but the bad reliability and lack of repair parts is so scary. The Hyundai dealership wants a thousand dollar deposit today to let me test drive the car in two weeks. And they're selling it for $5,000 over MSRP plus $700 dealership handling fee. (sighs) And of course they only have the top of the line model. Uh, maybe I can get by without for a while. So as for the top of the line, that's actually, unfortunately, that, that's something that you'll find from most manufacturers when a model is brand new. They usually start off building the high-end trims, um, you know, because the people that want them right away, you know, are tend to be willing to pay more. Uh, so they start off with the high-end trims and get the, the lower-end trims a few weeks or months later um, after launch. 
Um, so I'm not surprised that they only have the limited for the Ionic 5. $1,000 deposit, um, unless the, the deposit test is... drive it. Uh, unless it's fully drive. refundable? Uh, no. 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 Just, <laughs> no. Just go find, find another dealer somewhere. Um, there's got to be another dealer. Um, that's, that's ridiculous. And then, you know, the $5,000 over sticker again, uh, no, no. If you can wait, wait, um, yeah. you know, and, and you know, the, the, the uh, reader car me makes a good point about the Tesla model Y and the supercharging network, the supercharging network. That's, that's the killer app for Tesla and when it really comes down to it. I mean, yes, they have, you know, these, these really great, uh, battery and engine, um, engineering, but that supercharging network is just there. There are few. If someone had like said to me, "What's the easiest car for someone who's not going to be anal retentive about planning their route across America?" What's the what what EV would you get? It would automatic. It would just it would be the Tesla because of the supercharging network. So yeah, that's that's a that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. I mean, I, Electrify America is doing better. I'm seeing more and more Electrify America. Um, spots open up, EVgo, uh, ChargePoint, you know, they're all sort of coming out with more stuff. And so it's it's getting better for everyone else. But, yeah, that's supercharging network. Well, yeah, and the, the challenge is still in some remote areas like Wyoming. I, I don't know if EA has any stations or if there's any other, um, you know, fast charger, you know, really fast chargers um, in uh, in Wyoming besides Tesla. Um, you know, that, that is the thing that Tesla has probably done better than anything else is proliferating that fast charging network, uh, making it accessible and also making sure that it's relatively reliable. Uh, I mean, I, at times there, there have been issues with reliability of their chargers, but far less than with any of the other networks. So, yeah. um, it's, yeah, uh, that's, if, if you, if you have to go someplace like that right now, that, you know, that may be the better solution or, consider a plug-in hybrid you know if you can if you can get your hands on a prius prime or a focus plug-in hybrid or not a focus an escape plug-in hybrid um you know those are also really good options um you know that get you electric driving for the vast majority of your driving um and then you know when you need to take a long trip you're you especially if you're going someplace relatively remote um you know you're going to have probably a much higher probability of finding gasoline than you are of finding a fast charger. Yeah. Years ago, I read an article that Tesla should open up their charging network to other automakers or to other vehicles. And I talked to, to someone at Tesla about it. Um, and it's really, it comes, you know, there has to be a software heart handshake. It's not just like plugging it in. It's not like getting gas. Like the, the charger has to recognize the vehicle, which means Tesla would have to like buy these vehicles or lease them or whatever in order to like learn how to uh, all of them do. But it's not, I mean, Electrify America does it. EVgo does it. Everyone else does this. Um, and then or last year, it seemed like that was going to be an, a real option. Elon Musk tweeted like, oh, we're going to allow, you know, by the end of the year. Well, by the end of the year, the only thing they did is there's like two chargers, I think, in Sweden. Uh, I, think, I think it's in the Netherlands. Or the they've Netherlands. Got, they've got some yeah, in the some, Netherlands. Some, somewhere up north in Europe. <laughs> That's the dumb American way of saying it. <laughs> up well, in Europe, they have two two two. Uh, Supercharger stations that that are that are a part of a pilot program. Now, how soon that pilot program expands to other parts of Europe and then maybe eventually United States? Who who knows? Tesla's not exactly known for its its uh, speedy uh, delivery on any sort of product or uh, service. Yeah, I think um, you know one one thing that may prompt Tesla to 
speed up that process, um, especially um, later in the year, is um, you know when they start uh, doing the um, the grants for the uh, from the infrastructure package, infrastructure bill for public charging. Um, you know, I I think Tesla is going to be applying for some of those grants to pay for some chargers in some of these areas. Um, and in order to do that, it, the chargers have to be available to anyone to use. Uh, it, can't, it can't be restricted. So um, that may be one thing that prompts them to speed up here. You know, the, part of the reason why they did it in Europe first is because in Europe, they already have to use uh, CCS um, charging connectors rather than their proprietary connector. So that simplifies it because you don't need an adapter for other cars to use the chargers. Uh, they can still plug in. Then you just have to take care of the, the software side of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most likely, you know, what they'll end up doing is, you know, they'll, they'll have to publish some APIs and then other manufacturers will have to make their cars compatible with the chargers, you know, and they'll be responsible for testing them probably rather than Tesla testing them all. You know, it's 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 sort of it's a money it's it's money for them because a they get mm-hmm. to sell the adapters. So now everyone who buys a Taycan or Ionic Five has to buy now a Tesla adapter that goes from their Tesla proprietary to CCS, and then they get money for plugging it in. You know, they're they're getting they're making and they want to charge like a premium and they yeah they get higher premium. utilization of the of the charging network. So, so but I, I got I got a lot of hate mail for that article though. <laughs> Oh, from Tesla sure. people who were just like, no, they don't have to do you I can't. I'm like, whoa. I thought you all cared about saving the world. Apparently not. Apparently they all just cared about being part of a special group. Because yep. if you want to save the world, then you should op- make sure everyone can, can – everybody should – you should be happy when anybody else is making an EV. You should be happy when everyone can charge all at the same time. You should, you know, if that's your goal – to, to, to quote unquote save the world as people like to, to point that Elon Musk is doing, then it's not, you know, saving the world in my special group. It's saving the world globally. But, you know, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a crazy guy. <laughs> All right. The last question is from uh, JPM. Um, what is the best technique for preserving brake pad life? Easing into the brakes and letting the car stop smoothly or a hard brake with a more abrupt stop? Never stop. That's <laughs> <laughs> Just keep rolling. Just keep never, rolling. Never, never touch that brake pedal. Never and touch it. It'll never wear out your brakes. Buy an anchor um, that you throw out the back of the car yeah, whenever exactly. you get home. Never stop. <laughs> um, no, it, seriously though. Um, regardless of what it does to your brake pad life, always go for easing into the brakes and letting the car stop smoothly. Hard braking with more abrupt stop is bad for your safety it's bad for the safety of those around you um you know if if you you know are always stopping at the last minute anybody who's following behind you is more likely to rear end you um and also you know any time that there's any uncertainty about the the traction of the road surface you're driving on hard braking uh, you know re- waiting to the last minute to stop um means that even with stability control and abs and everything um, you know, those, those are limited to <laughs> Newton's laws of motion. You know, if you don't have <laughs> friction, you're not stopping. Yeah. Um, and so it's always better to, to drive smoothly, you know, ease into the brakes, let the car stop smoothly. Also, you know, hard braking, you're more likely to generate a lot more heat in the brakes, which is also not good for the, the pads or your rotors. Um, so, you know, smooth, smooth driving is always, always, always better. 
Yeah, yeah. The rot- I mean, you, I think people don't think about the rotors. They're just like, oh, they're just pieces of metal. Like, now nah, you do a lot of hard braking, you're going to have a warp rotor. And then whenever you have a warp rotor, you know it. All of a sudden, your braking is all... You're trying to figure out what's going on because, especially if you don't drive a lot of cars, you don't drive a lot of performance cars, or you've done that because of hard performance driving, you're like, what is happening? Why is my car every time I... Is it the wheel? Is it the... Nope. Your rotor shot. Yep. <laughs> now they got to read. Get, get, uh, get hard, hard spots in those rotors, um, you know, from from the hot spots. Um, that, uh, yeah, and, and and in many cases you can't even machine that out. You may just have to throw them away and get new ones. Yeah, which is a bummer. Which a brake. I mean, a brake job is not that expensive. Well, I mean, if you do it at home, it's first of all changing your brakes at home is really really easy. Yeah, I mean, you can get a set of brake pads. You know. General, you know, general brake pads for forty, fifty bucks, and yep. and the associated parts. It, it is. It, if you have a, all you need is a. I would recommend having a jack and a jack stand. Uh, Absolutely. And then some basic tools, and for the most part, it should be fine. Except for once when we did my friend's Jetta, in the ninety, his nineties, late nineties Jetta. For some reason, you had to get like a special tool to change your brake pads, but you could get it for free at like O'Reilly or. Or whatever auto part. A lot of them like they have a loan, uh, a tool loan program where you can just go and be like, "Hey, I want to borrow this tool." You give them a deposit. You borrow the tool. You change your brakes. You bring the tool back. They give you a deposit. Easy peasy. Yeah, back uh, back in about '91 when I was working for uh, for GM, working for Dalco on uh, ABS systems, we were supporting um, Lotus Esprit race program, and we had we supplied the ABS for those cars in the um, SCCA World Challenge Series. And um, <clears throat> to save time for the uh, for the team at, on race weekends, one of the things that we did, we had one of their cars from the previous year out at Milford that we were using for testing, for tweaking the ABS um, uh, calibrations. And um, so one of the things that I got to do was go out and bed in brake pads for on the race car. And so I would go out, drive around for an hour, you know, and do a sequence of, of stops at a certain certain speeds, certain decel, um, just to, to get the ba- the pads bedded in, um, and then bring it back into the garage, put it up on the hoist, pull the pads out and you know, the the racing calipers, you know, you just take the wheel off, pop the pads out, pop new new pads in there go out, do it again, spend a day doing that. That was fun. That sounds like, yeah, that's cool. Because then you get yeah. to know whenever you see that car on the track, you're like, yeah, that guy's braking because of me. Because <laughs> yeah, of me. Right. I broke those pads in for him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. That's it for this week. Uh, next week we should have uh, Nicole back as well. So uh, thanks, everybody, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.